This is Jordan Grace, and you're listening to the Social Suplex Podcast Network. BWB, this is One Nation Radio. You better get it right. Rich Ladder, James Boyd came to give them life. The blackest wrestling podcast has come to kick all ass and drop it six feet if they kick it trash. Word, let me welcome y'all to something different. And if you dig it, man, you should let some friends listen. We be getting it in this on the regular, dude. Ravish and flow, but this shit rule. See, James don't rap, so I had to break it down. The whole network, man, we coming for the crown. Raps in the columns, I keep them both covered Making the beats too, so the listeners can bump it Hit us with the rating, yeah, I'm saying it's a five Before you hit it, talk, bob your head side to side It's One Nation Radio, and this is the beginning It's Rich, and I'm here with James It's time to listen to One Nation The power of this is Mike Sempervivi from WrestlingObserver.com. Check me out on Wrestling Observer Live every day. And also check out your boys, Rich and James, on One Nation Radio. Uh, this is Kenny Omega. We're listening to One Nation Radio. Check it out, guys. These guys know what's up. Big Kenny Omega fans. That's all it counts to me. Goodbye and good night. Hey. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to One Nation Radio. I'm James Boyd. This is a solo show. Rich is not with us this week. He is on a well-deserved, well-earned vacation. I don't know if he's calling it a honeymoon or if he's calling it just a getaway. But either way, I'm happy for him. He got married over the weekend. I had the honor and privilege of being his best man for the ceremony. Um, It was a small event. uh, Pretty much just um, close uh, families and friends. Um, Due to coronavirus, it's an outdoor wedding at a park. Um, was I a little nervous given that I've been pretty much just a recluse and been uh, boxed in during um, the pandemic over the over the past uh, few months? Absolutely. But, uh, you know, um, it's, it's Rich and it's Catherine. I love them to death and I do pretty much anything for them. So I, w- I was with it, um, including the bachelor party. Uh, but uh, enough about me. Back to them. Um, yeah, they had been together since about um, either late 2011, or early 2012, and they've been together the whole time. And it's it's just been um, it's been a lot of love there, and I'm glad that this is happening. Um, I I said during uh, my best man speech that I had bullet points that kind of pulled out of my ass, but still worked somehow. Um, luckily, lucky me. But, um, I said that, uh, you know, I think earlier on, I kind of knew that this was going to happen one day that they were going to get married. So, um, I'm happy that was right. You know, one thing, one thing, one issue radio is about is being right. (laughs) So, um, but, um, but enough about that. Um, just a lot of love there and a great relationship. And I, and just hope the best for both of them. And, you know, I hope that, um, Rich is, not going overboard with the with the hotel chair. <laughs> he uh he said he sent us a, a picture of a hotel chair. You know, uh, if you listen to Joe Lanz and um, uh, Voice of Wrestling, you already know what that is. If you don't, I'm sorry, I'm not going to fill you in. You're just gonna have to guess it yourself. I'm pretty sure you're good at contest clues. But anyway, um, over the weekend, the Los Angeles Lakers won the NBA championship. I'm surprised that Rich didn't hit me up to get a, you know, five, 15 minutes away uh, to do a segment with me where he could talk a bunch of shit. So I'm assuming he's going to be back next week. So he can talk his own brand of shit uh, as a diehard Laker fan. But for me, uh, I just want to say like, 
it was a great finals for a finals that I thought um, was kind of lopsided. I think the Miami Heat had a lot of heart. I think that Jimmy Butler in game five had a fantastic uh, all-time game. I think it was 35-point, triple-double. Um, one of the better finals games you'll ever see, the the ending stretch where him and LeBron are basically going bucket to bucket like it's a, like it's a damn uh, and one uh, game. And ultimately, he ends up uh, winning that game, the Heat, in the force of game six, which, which basically caused Frank Vogel to pull the lever. And the lever was take out Dwight Howard. Uh, we already not they were already not playing JaVel McGee and basically decided to go with LeBron at power forward, Anthony Davis at center, their version of the death lineup that a lot of us NBA hardcore fans were waiting, expecting them to unleash um, for most of the postseason, but never really needed to do so until now. Um, and they promptly beat the living crap out of the heat. And it was no longer a, a series of grittiness and whatever else. It was just they play small ball better than everybody else. Um, sorry, Bam Adebayo. Sorry, Jimmy Butler. Uh, sorry, Tyler Hero. But after that point, there was no weak, there was no weakness to attack on that um, Laker defense. And it was a wrap from there. And they got out. They got a lot of deflections in. You get a lot of deflection on, Le- on a LeBron James team. It's going to lead to just transition buckets and dunks and highlight real stuff, and that's what they got. Um, and it was over before halftime. I think they had a. Um, I think at some point, points they got to a th- over thirty point lead. I think got to thirty six some at some point. It was pretty much just uh, a <laughs> just a just a de- debacle, a debacle. Um, but yeah, to go from that. I, you know, it was a crazy year. The bubble was a smashing success. It's amazing how you look at um, all the sports around the world, all around this country, actually, and look at the number of outbreaks from football and baseball and the like in college football. And then you look at places that actually did decide to do social distancing and do uh, a bubble, whether it was the WNBA with the women's bubble, the NBA with the bubble or hockey, no COVID positives. Um, it's just more proof that, like, on a macro scale, or even on a um, a control that if you isolate, socially distance, wear a fucking mask, that you can cur you can put a curve on this. Um, if you were to uh ramp this up to scale, and I mean, we all we didn't need just American sports, major American sports, to prove that. You can look at. The rest of the Western world, uh, you look at the outbreaks, numbers uh, per capita in other developed countries, other Western countries compared to us, and we are a shit show. Um, but it is what it is, I guess. But um, just want to say congratulations to the NBA and the WNBA and hockey for, you know, in in the face of adversity of trying to get this TV money for everybody to be able to uh, continue um, the future of their leagues, respectively, they went out there and did it, and they did it in a safe way, ultimately. And, you know, you look at these NBA teams all around, or these NFL teams all around, and you don't know what the hell is going to happen. Games are getting postponed to the next week. Games are getting moved to extra Monday night football, extra Thursday night games. You don't know what's going to happen. I believe the Tennessee Titans have had multiple games uh, postponed already. And they have, it's just their opponents that are getting uh, positive tests. It's not even them necessarily. So it's, it's, it's really a wild time. And 
the world of major American sports. Um, but I think it's enough talk about the Lakers and Laker exceptionalism. I'm sure Rich will have plenty of that for next week, but I think it's now time to talk about the stars on the Lakers. Anthony Davis has won his first NBA title. Um, it was a fun moment for me as a guy that literally at first time I saw him in Kentucky, I thought this dude was just like rich man's John Henson in North Carolina. Um, he was college player of the year. And it's so weird. It's also a reason why I do not love college basketball the same way I used to, where you just look at all these guys, whether it was someone like a Draymond Green, or Anthony Davis, or Carl Anthony Towns, and you see Julius Randle, and you see the kind of skill that they have in the college game, and then you translate it to the NBA, and you see their game just blossom, and they have all this other stuff, and you're like, why the hell didn't this coach use this in, in, in college and destroy these teams? Um, you know, Kentucky, they won their national championship in um, in 2012, Anthony Davis' freshman year, and he was college uh, player of the year, but he was, you know, from the time you see him in the NBA, you're just like, his, he's so much more than what you even thought is just a rim run lob guy and a, uh, and a shot blocker and a great defensive player. Like, you saw so much of his game as a person that could put the ball down as somebody that could shoot face up um, you could put it at the elbow you could put on the block and it was so tantalizing to see all the skills he had and I, I think you know he was injured early on but I think in his first healthy year I just knew it was like this is this is going to be a futuristic generational talent someone that was going to be a future MVP candidate um, he's he's finished top three in MVP voting before there's going to be a bunch more now that he's 27 he's on the Lakers um and, you know, he's a, he's one of the best defensive players in the league. He might be the most versatile defender in the entire league right now at this point. The sky's the limit for him. Um, and he's paired up with a, perf- a person that's perfect for him and having, you know, such a great facilitator in LeBron. Um, and for someone like AD, AD, you need a facilitator like him. And they kind of a perfect match. It's crazy that LeBron has found, like, his basketball soulmate at age 35, after 17 years, when he's had great teammates like Dwayne Wade, like Chris Bosh, like Kevin Love, like Kyrie Irving, uh, and they're they're just they're just a matchup nightmare. They're such a matchup nightmare that they won the NBA Finals, and quite frankly, they rarely did use two man game. They rarely went to the pick and roll. They rarely went to pick and pop between them. That's and you know I think that's something that they feel like they can pull out on any rainy day against a tougher matchup and quite frankly they they ran through this uh this tournament um but i think in the future when they eventually meet the warriors in the future or they run into the nets possibly next year or um maybe the nuggets provide a tougher challenge next year because of because of their age and um their trajectory their trajectory i think that they're going to use that and it's going to be very similar to the 2017 finals when the Warriors didn't use any stuff in, in KD pick and roll. And then they unleashed on the on the, on the uh, Cavs. And it was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest offensive of basketball between two teams I've ever seen in my life. Um, that was a crazy finals. Like the Cavs right here scoring 115 and still getting their doors blown off. That's that's a level of excellence of uh, those finals with 
that level of talent with Draymond and Clay and Steph and Durant and Livingston and Iguodala and Kevin Love and LeBron and Kyrie and shooters all around on the Cavs. It it was just just fantastic. Just from a non as a person that doesn't watch basketball from a rooting standpoint, because I don't have a fan, I don't have a team interest or whatever else. Like that was just bliss to watch. Just high the highest level of basketball i think that's the highest level of basketball we'll ever see offensively in our nba finals um i think in my lifetime i hope i'm wrong i like to see something better but that's the best is going to get uh that i can think of i can't imagine what the hell basketball is going to look like it's, unless it's just a million threes and no twos whatsoever in the future and there's five step curries on the team um in the future and basketball looks totally different right um but anyway um Anthony Davis is a fantastic player, generational player, and this isn't over. Um, I, I think I was talking to my brother Daniel and explained to him, like, I remember when I, I said to him in the middle of the West Conference Finals with just the offensive game that that is on display from Anthony Davis as far as his face-up game, his shooting ability, long twos, threes, and just the rate that he was just making shots at is like, it's only a matter of time before he starts coming off of pin downs and he's going to look less like, you know, Kevin Garnett um, crossed with David Robinson and more like Kevin Garnett crossed with Kevin Durant. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what happens in the future, how his game unfolds, but it's going to be a wild ride because given what the Warriors and the Miami Heat uh, from the LeBron era, in the Bosch era and the way they're in what, you know, the death lineup from the Warriors did to the league to where they've rendered the big man extinct. The kind of versatility that Anthony Davis holds, he's just going to dominate this league going forward. Like in now he has more confidence. He was already somebody that um, from day one stepped in as an immediate impact playoff performer. And that shine through in this postseason. And now that he has the confidence, like, he may become the best player in the world eventually. Like, we always talked about whether it was Kevin Durant that was going to, like, officially supplant uh, LeBron or whether it was going to be Giannis or Kawhi, Steph Curry at different times. It looked like that same, and so has Durant. But, like, I, it, given the age range and, like, the perfect time for the overlapping as LeBron's on the down downturn on his career, his prime, his apex... It just might end up being kept. It just may end up being Anthony Davis of all people, which is crazy because they're on the same damn team and they're just gonna. They just are such a perfect blend. If there's ever any bit of shooting around them, they're just going to be an elite offense in the playoffs. And unless another super team gets built or whatever else, this is like a team that can compete next year. Um, it may be even further than that, but. Hats off to Lakers, hats off to AD. Um, but last person I want to bring up, of course, LeBron James, a person I now think is officially the clear-cut second-best basketball player in the world. I don't know if most people have already been there as far as, you know, his multiple runs through the finals. You know, 2018 was such a special playoff run, one of the greatest playoff runs ever. Um, the people have already been there for two, but for me... I kind of put it as, you know, it's error versus error. I can't really compare the errors, but I can kind of look at accolades across different eras and kind of gauge somebody's dominance. 
and for me, um, he's there now. He's there at number two. Um, I want to say after the 2016 finals when he beat the uh, 73 win Warriors team, that I had him at three or four. Probably had him at three. Because um, I just I just have such respect for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He's somebody that is historically given the, the short thrift as uh, one of the greatest of all time. Um, for his person to have six MVPs, six finals, in, or sorry, six championships, multiple finals, MVPs, um, you know, finals, MVPs, like 15 years apart. I feel like he's given really short shrift. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact of his persona um, in his political leanings as a kid in the league and growing up. At, at, at given that time, I think a lot of that is stuff that is you know unfairly uh, thrown upon him, uh, especially in retrospect because you know Kareem was right about a lot of this stuff. But anyway, I, I think that you know with due respect, it was is really hard to put somebody over Kareem because Kareem, regardless of if you're a Jordan person or Russell person, if the argument is who has the greatest career of all time, it's Kareem. And then it's everybody else. LeBron is at the point now to where, barring some type of um, Kobe-like Achilles injury, something unforeseen anyway, he's probably going to be the all-time um, point scorer as a person that a lot of people believe his best skill is, you know, facilitating and not actually scoring. And, you know, he's already the all-time leader for non-guards and assists per game. He's just going to fill up this... Uh, this career or just fill up the stat sheet of accolades and stuff over the years. I think he's only like, you know, two and a half years behind in um, the points at a time where he's only, you know, he'll be 36 by the end of next season. Like he's way ahead of schedule to catch Kareem in that regard. So, um, he, he did it again. Like I think for people to get a grasp of how incredible LeBron has been over his career, I just want to just talk about this Bill Simmons stat. Bill Simmons has constructed something from his book of basketball that came out um, like 2009. I think he did a uh, paperback edition the update of the year after in 2010 that I have. And it's called the 42 Point Club. And it's pretty much as follows. You can pretty much tell who had a kick-ass summer in every every playoffs since about the probably the mergers, like 77 or whatever else it was. Um, by adding up their average points, rebounds, and assists as a total. And if they played 13 games of playoff basketball and that number equals over 42, you're talking about some, you're talking about pretty much every kick-ass um, playoff run. Um, Jordan had did it six times. Kobe Bryant did it one time in 01. Um, notably with Shaq, he's one of the only uh, pairs of teammates to ever do it. Um, unfortunately, uh, because of the foul trouble game that uh, AD had in game three, I believe, uh, he ended up just barely missing out. But Jordan's did it six times. Kobe's done it once. Uh, what believe Westbrook's done it twice. Harden's never done it. Steph never, has never done it. Uh, KD's done it once. Coincidentally, on the same in the same year that Westbrook did it one time, uh, did it as well, and they 
still got bounced by the 14 Spurs, let you know that's an all-time great team. Like, that ass whooping they put on uh, the Heat 14 was well-deserved. That was a great team. But, um, yeah, LeBron has done it nine times, um, which is just staggering. Uh, like, you look at the, I'm looking at the list of other people that have done it. Like, Shaq's done it four times. Bert, Larry Bird's only done it four times. Moses Malone did it twice. Magic only done it twice. Kareem, or, uh, Karl Malone, Mailman's only done it twice. Tim Duncan's only done it twice. Kareem's only done it once. Barkley did it once. Iverson did it once. KG did it once. Blake Griffin, of all people, did it once in 2015. Um, like, that's quite as kept. He was great that postseason until they got bounced by the uh, Rockets. But, yeah, just to put you in perspective, the kind of consistent force that LeBron has been um, in the playoffs and over his career, that's where he is. Uh, he's Mr. Longevity. Um 17 years aside from a two-week vacation in 2015 in the 2015 season in his groin terror last season he's been relatively he's he's been a gamer um he's gonna give you 70 plus 70 uh plus games every year um it it's truly a marvel like i i you know when i was a kid, when I was in a freshman, he was in a senior in high school, and I thought about all the things he could possibly be. I never thought that he would become the second greatest basketball player all the time. I thought he'd be great, but I didn't think he'd be all this. Uh, and to see like that, he has like probably the greatest prime of all time in pretty much any major sport is just like just startling. Um, but we'll see what the future holds for him. He has a great teammate in Anthony Davis, as I said. Um, they have some moves to make. Um, some people need to bring back, and some people need to. Um, they may need to move along to get in more shooting, but they can, you know, with that defense that they played and that defense that they play is so amazing and so uh, stifling that it's going to be hard to keep that sustained for the next multiple for the next number of years for a multiple year run. But um, if they can get add more shooting to their team. Given the landscape of the league, there's no, you know, Durant of the Warriors type of team anymore. Um, the Warriors, when they come back next year, they will not have the kind of depth that they've had over the years. It's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be a fun, it's going to be a fun um, time next year. Like, hopefully, um, we'll figure out whenever the season start ne- starts next year. Um, the initial talks were something like Christmas. I can't imagine that. Um there have been people that I follow, like Bill Simmons and Rosillo, that believe it won't start till maybe even March. Um, but whenever it does, hopefully, you know, we'll be in a different place uh, in the country to where it'll be responsible to actually have fans. And if not, then maybe we don't deserve to have an NBA season, right? Um, but yeah, just shout out to AD and Lakers and Laker Nation and everything. It was a long, rough ride. I was talking to Rich about how crazy it was after. Um, you know, Dwight left and Kobe blood is Achilles and how, you know, the, the franchise is, you know, down for so long and like the turmoil between the bus siblings and everything. And, you know, like, it's crazy. Like most, any other franchise with that kind of stuff that happened over the, those six years, they would have no, you know, future. They would be out here looking like the bulls or looking like, um, Detroit or something. But, it's the Lakers. It means something. It just means something different. So, um, in the words of Rich, 
Baker exceptionalism is not dead. But um, I think it's time to talk about pro wrestling. And I'm going to start with the best wrestling I saw all of last week. So Rich is not with me. I have no co-host. So I myself will tell myself to hit the music. So last weekend, October 3rd, Stardom had its second or biggest show uh, in its entire um, nine and a half year history. They had a show at the Yokohama Budokan, um, a newer facility um, that seats about 4,000 people. Uh, because of because of um, social distancing, they were only allowed to let, let in a certain percentage. They ended up with 1,000 people there. Um it, I gotta tell you, like the layout of it, it reminded me a lot of watching um, New Japan shows. It reminded me a lot of like a sumo hall show or a Budokan hall show, um, as far as the railing and everything else. Um, but it, it was put up on Stardom World. It was actually um, sold as a pay per view in Japan. I don't I have no idea whether or not it was available. Uh, as an online pay-per-view for um, foreigners, but um, I'm just happy that after it was on pay-per-view, given how there are you know blackout periods before you can actually you know redistribute it on a different platform, that you know it was up by I believe Wednesday um, after it happened on Saturday. So I actually watched this right before Dynamite, and I got to tell you, um, for those that listen to um, Wrestling Observer Live and talk and listen to Dave Meltzer go on and on about watching. The pitfalls of watching New Japan Pro Wrestling before watching an American show. Gotta tell you, I've always thought he was right about that. And that also applies to stardom on this show. Because this show was one of the 10 best shows I've seen this year in professional wrestling all around the world. Uh, Probably, hell, I'll probably even say top 8. Fantastic show from, um, from just from everywhere. Great performances. Um first show, or sorry, the first match is the high-speed title match between 18-year-old, or recently turned 18, uh, Azumi, the high-speed champion versus Starlight Kid, the <laughs> as Rich calls, like, the greatest babyface in the world. Uh, historic rivals been added since they first uh, met, so it has been like a six-year rivalry, five-year rivalry going on um, between them, um, and they always have great exchanges and great matches, and I believe this was the best, their best match um, they've ever had, the ones that I've seen especially. Um, it was it was a typical high-speed battle. Starts out with um, a lot of rope running, a lot of um, twists and turns, a lot of near falls. Ultimately, Azumi ends up getting, um, is able to pick off her uh, Starlight Kid's left arm and goes to work on it. Um, Starlight Kid fights back uh, from underneath. There's a point where she ends up actually um, <laughs> getting a uh, her signature uh, code red. That's her her big finish that she almost never hits. She ends up hitting it on a on Azumi, and Azumi ends up getting uh, positioned where she's close to the ropes 
and she ends up getting stacked up high on her shoulders in a um, uh, Liger Bomb pinning situation stacked up high and instead of kicking out she actually got her feet on the bottom rope it was a really cool look uh, she signs of you know thought and desperation um there's also a spot later where um, Azumi's kicking Starlight Kid's ass and um, Starlight Kid's getting thrown over the top rope and she's on the apron and Azumi comes charging after her and Starlight Kid gets up on the bottom rope and reaches over his with a huge forearm and grabs her and while she's on the apron actually hits like the Randy Orton hanging DDT except from she grabs her and she's on the apron so she basically drops her and drops off the apron at the same time to the floor while DDTing Azumi's head right on the apron. It's brutal. Um, there was also at that point in time, I think she followed that up with a uh, um, top rope to floor um, dive. Um, and then from there, there was a bunch of, you know, their classic back and forths of, you know, flips and and near falls and, and from Azumi head kicks, of course. Um, Azumi continued going back to that arm um, for multiple uh, submission near falls until ultimately she ends up getting her with um, this super cool looking move that is like she ends up on the top rope seated on the top rope with an opponent either charging her or, or she st- stops them and then she basically grabs one of her ar- one of her arms um, and then hooks her one of her legs around um, the back of, of her opponent's neck and she jumps off the rope for like basically like a freaking leg drop <laughs> um uh and then t- she turns it into a rings of saturn um looking thing with it with her legs and it's just brutal and ultimately uh started kid tapped out it's a great match it's a great opener um i gave it four stars a lot of people like it more than that but um i would say definitely check it out it's actually um for those that don't have stardom world if you just want to get a taste of what can happen um and what they do they actually have that sh- show or that match up on stardom um, Stardom's YouTube. I'll actually throw the link um, in the description below. Um, and then from there, they end up moving on to um, other matches on the card that aren't as good. They end up debuting um, Mina Shirakawa, uh, former Tokyo Joshi Pro wrestler, against Hannon, their 15 year old. Um, and uh, she quickly dispatches of her. Um, it wasn't much of a match, it was just a show you the surprise of we have this woman that is now moved over um this is more <laughs> plunder and, and looting of talent from stardom from the rest of the joshi world uh but uh I, it it's uh it's cool to see her it actually is um if i remember correctly when we last had zach on the show we were talking about potential people that would be the surprises and her name was one of the people and also we were kind of two for two because the person that ended up being um, mentioned as someone that could possibly be uh, the next member of Donna Domano's the fifth member ended up actually being Natsumi Maki she goes by Natsupoi so I don't know if that's just a, a, t- a trademark thing or whatever else but she is there and she is in the, the thug section of Donna Domando while twirling a baton and smiling down to the ring it's just a weird juxtaposition of Shuri, former MMA fighter, former UFC Japan <laughs> ass kicker, the giant of Himeka, and this is smiling baby face now dressed in um, what is, I guess, the traditional black and red and silver of Don Domando, just amongst all those killers. But um, the next match after that was a tag match with Riho and Saeeda 
one of uh stardom's one of uh stars not one of stars best uh jobber she's one of the best jobbers in wrestling uh versus Natsumira and Yuna Manase it was an eight minute match it was okay it was fun um Natsu's a comedy wrestler wrestling around um Riho her and Rio have had a thing for a while now where Rio uh Natsu does a Bronco Buster spot where she humps the wrestler's faces in the corner kind of similar to the stink face but from the front part uh you can visually understand what I mean um and she has been dying for months and months and months to hit the Bronco Buster on Riho but Riho has always narrowly escaped um so uh that was what the match is based around the comedy of whether or not uh what I what I basically call twenty seven year old hot Yano can hunch the face of Riho. Uh so enjoy if y'all if that's what you're into. But yeah. Um next match was Def Yamasan versus the debuting surprise of Nasumi Maki, now named as Nasapoi. Um they had a high speed match. Uh very fun, short match, not as nearly as good as Azumi and um Starlight Kid. It was a simple match. It was a simple, fun match with high-speed spots. Um, the only other time I had actually really seen Natsu for a extended period of time was in a match in um, on the January 4 Tokyo Joshi Pro, which is kind of their um, their WrestleMania. And she wrestled uh, Sari, who is set to go to WWE whenever the pandemic goes away, but is a top was a top freelancer, maybe still is a top freelancer in Japan. Um, and I thought of her more of a striker in that match, but um, she's a high speed wrestler. She hits the rope. She's running around. She has cool spot, uh, flip spots. Um, and she ends up p- beating Def Yamasan. And after the match, she says that she is a high speed wrestler, and I believe she's wants a high speed title shot. Um, next match after that, we end up getting b Priestley versus Momo Watanabe for the SWA belt. The SWA belt is basically the foreigner belt. Um, I believe the rules of it is if you're the champion, you can only wrestle challengers that are from a country different from yours. So it makes sense for her be in, in, in this time of the pandemic to be the champion so she can wrestle other domestic talents. Um, cause it's going to be real, it's going to be a bitch. Try to bring in somebody from, from the U S right. Uh, I don't think anybody's coming over to for, uh, for two weeks to sit here and then go wrestle and then go get dispatched back to America. But, uh, they end up having a great match. It, it, it's, it's funny because it actually pays off a storyline from when, um, back in January B turned on Momo after she lost her title challenge against Mayu and hit her to Kamagoye. And moved on to Oedo Tai. Um, and ever since then, she's been an Oedo Tai. And they never had a match. They always had tags or whatever else. And, you know, almost kind of got her revenge here and there by, you know, pinning her in, in, in matches. But they never had a final resolution until now. And it's a really good match. Um, they end up wrestling around. And um, Momo starts kicking her ass with, with stiff kicks. And then they end up on the apron. And Momo keeps sending her back with, with mid kicks and sends her close to a, a, a ring post and then she sets up for a big finishing kick and B ducks and she ends up hitting her shin and her ankle uh, with her right ankle and leg into the uh, ring post and then B goes to work just bending down that leg and 
um, in a very Arisa <laughs> Hoshiki-like fashion. Um, after wearing that leg down, um, Momo jumped up and started running around, which annoyed the shit out of me, but um, match just continued on, and um, in much similar to the uh, B in Arisa match from, I believe that was either January or February, um, their white title match, B forgot which leg she had worked on and ended up putting a slapping on a uh, a leg bar, uh, a knee bar onto the left leg, which was a healthy leg, and then it just turned into a thing where she's working over both legs. But um, it, it was a lot of great wrestling in that match, um, a lot of crazy sequences. There was a there was a sequence where they're both on the floor going for encountering each other's small packages and cradles for near falls, and then. Um, they both end up on their feet, and B ends up slipping underneath Momo and and fighting and fighting for a backslide. And Momo's fighting the backslide, and then ultimately she gets she gives into it. And as B finally gets her shoulders <laughs> on the mat, Momo rolls through, and you know, like the story of uh, the betrayal back in January, she she has wrist control both wrists, and she just comes through and just <laughs> just fucking lays out B with a Kamagoye. It was fantastic. Um, but um, there was also a uh, there was also a spot where um, Momo was trying to give her multiple times to, I think it happened twice where Momo was insistent on trying to give B a B driver uh, which is basically like a um, a backpack tombstone basically um, where instead of you drop them from the front, like you have them basically lift it on your back and you drop them from behind. Um, where in B, both times they slid off her back kind of in a Seth Rollins style and um, either try for a um, her Japanese ultra cyclone suplex where you're in a backpack, um, or sorry, electric chair position and you grab the arms and in a straight jacket position and you just fall back. Um, and Momo escaped the first time with a victory roll. Um, I think she victory rolled up and then like hit it with a huge head kick. And then the second time, um, Momo or sorry, B, you know, um, in a, in a, something I think you guys will find familiar, hit her with a Shiki Nando's. I, I wonder where she got that influence from, but, um, ultimately match ends where, uh, B ends up hitting her with the Japanese ultra cyclone suplex and she's the new SWA champion. Um, I, I ended up giving that match uh, three and three quarters. Really enjoyed the match, but it, it just was not as good as the opener. <laughs> it just wasn't. Um, but uh, the next match after that ended up being um, a loser has to disband match between Oedo Tai, Saikishima, and Nasuko Tora versus uh, TCS's Jungle Kiona and Konami. Um, not going to spend much time in this match. This match was mostly just an angle. That's the thing that matters. Uh, match was okay. It was a no DQ match. Um, there's one spot I'll mention. Um, Jungle ends up uh, getting a table in the ring. And they set it up. And she ends up uh, pal driving uh, Nasco through the table. Um, ultimately, the end of the match is uh, where Jungle's in the match fighting her ass off throughout. And Konami's making saves. While every you know, so mostly it's, it started out brawling around the ring and ultimately ends up with one one on one in the ring as people on the outside doing plunder stuff and then making saves. 
Um, so it the match finishes where Saki ends up getting a a chair, a steel chair, and she's going to hit Jungle with it. She actually does hit Jungle with it, and she's going to finish her. And then Konami comes in and basically does a, a Minoru Suzuki like uh, chair duel with uh, double, you know, uh, wielding chairs, and then ultimately turns around, waits till Jungle's up on her feet, turns around and betrays her, breaks the fucking table or the, the chair over her head. And then um, and that allows Saki to hit her uh, crucifix um, pin for the win. Um, Jungle is shocked and surprised. I'm shocked and surprised and also angered because this is a thing they do in stardom. Um, not often, but whenever they do a betrayal in a tag match, they will let the person just wrestle the match as normal, like just like you expect, taking damage, making saves for the person instead of just fucking them because they obviously are going to fuck them. And then what at, at the last moment... Somebody betrays them after they've wrestled through a whole match and got their ass by the opposing team and then joins the other team. It's it's the dumbest shit. It happened um, actually with Saki at the beginning of this year where Saki is tagging with Mayu and then after going through a match, getting her ass whooped, making saves for Mayu, she decides to screw her and ends up joining Oedotai. Whatever. I think it's dumb. They also did this when um, in the 2016 tag league where um, EO turned on Mayu but at least EO got a chance to cut a promo and explain why in the middle of the match she decided to turn on her that at least you can make it make some sense the other ones is just nah we're gonna we're gonna slap your head by doing something that nobody would actually do if you want to turn somebody if you want to turn somebody you do the you know the sting in flair where the baby face is in the ring, resting her ass off, and then the hill finally gets the hot tag, and then the hill turns while taking no damage, because why the hell would you guys slap somebody's head in that kind of way to screw them? You would just screw them over and get it over with. Anyway, um, and then the match, uh, Konami cuts a promo saying she's through with, uh, with Jungle, through with TCS, she wants to join Oedotai. Um, she's in Oedotai now, um, Jungle has some of the, the saddest betrayal face you'll ever see. Um, I did not see at the time when, because um, I was not watching at the time when Momo Watanabe left uh, the Stardom Army, which is now the proto version of Stars, um, to join Queen's Quest um, when Jungle and Momo were a tag team. But I felt it, and I felt so sad for Jungle. Um, jungle is <laughs> Jungle is always so good at being such a believable baby face to root for, get behind, but she always loses, and that's just her demo. That's what she does. Jungle will lose, and she will be devastated, and you will feel devastated for her. That is the the name of the game, and she looked like somebody. She looked like somebody like she lost a she, like she lost a family member. She lost a, a friend, and obviously, you know, um, this is long. This is long um, form storytelling. Um, Konami and Jungle were a tag team. They were tag team champions last year. They were great. They were one of my favorite tag teams in the world last year. Um, they had a great relationship. A lot of it was about not letting each other down, and you know, uh, I felt like they were the best part of TCS while being around Hannah at the time when Hannah. Um, was had all the charisma in the world, but she needed people in the ring to help back her up at times because she's she was very good at brawling, but 
as far as the technical aspect of carrying through matches, not so much. And I thought that all three of them fed off each other so well, and especially that tag team. And they're they're done, they're through, and Jungle just breaks just breaks down into tears. Just shouts out if you've ever seen the uh, Hiromu after Evil betrayed Naito um, at the final of uh, of um, New Japan Cup, I believe. Or after, actually, I take it back. After uh, he won the title, and he's just screaming up into the sky like a like a crazed person. This was a less ridiculous version of that, but she screamed, um, just like the pain of betrayal. It was just 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 gutting. But um, oh, that's not the worst thing to happen to her this weekend, and um, we'll 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 get back to that later. Um, um next match after that was uh well one thing i want to double back to is um after konami left out the ring they had the other members of tcs ringside um now it is um rena um rena is a 12 year old girl um who dressed like hannah's mini me and has still stayed in that gear even after hannah's passing um you had def yamasan like we mentioned comedy wrestler high speed wrestler and um roca uh who um is back to wrestling now she was away for a while um they have a thing with schooling to where they have to uh do a bunch of stuff to get to high school so she wasn't around for the last few last year or so but um jungle cuts a promo to all of them saying i i can't it wasn't um translated this uh this time it'll be up eventually but um I'm assuming it's something along the lines of I'm sorry I failed you and Rena walks off crying and that was the end of it um, but next match of that was uh, the tag team title match Utami and Big Saya versus Micah and <clears throat> Micah and Hameka um, it's kind of like an epilogue of the Grand Prix final with Hameka on one side and Utami on the other and um, they had a, they had a good match. Um, I did not like this match as much as most people did. Um, I thought it was a good match. I didn't think it was a great match. I didn't I didn't actually even give it three and a half. It's not on my recommended match list of the year so far. But um, the match they they worked hard. It just it just didn't, I just didn't feel it. But um, ultimately the match ends where Big Saya, who um, it's kind of funny because after last week where Isaiah Cassidy. Um, against Jericho, did a lot of flying, or was that two weeks? I can't remember. Um, did a lot of flying, and none of it looked particularly particularly good. And some of it looked like you know he ended up injuring himself or others. Um, Sayamatani decided to raise the stakes by um, doing her usual aerial stuff that doesn't really look that consistent or good that often but she can pull it off and you know um she's only been wrestling for um about 14 months even with this pandemic so you expect it giving her um some of the things she can already do you expect it to you know round into shape over the next few years but um she actually finishes this match with a phoenix splash um which was I was not expecting her to pull that one out the bag when she went to the side row I'm thinking okay moonsault no phoenix splash um, and she didn't land it smoothly like she didn't land it like flush on um, I believe it was Micah I don't, she didn't land it on Micah's chest she landed on more of the legs but 
good enough. Um, it, it was a, it was, it was, it was a. <laughs> if she's gonna pull that out, like she has a bright, bright future. I already thought she did, but wow. Um, I just, I just worry about her when it comes to the actual technical wrestling aspect. She can sell her ass off. Uh, she's very springy. She's uh, uh, she also bumps very well. She's good at selling, but I I worry. But um, you know they're behind her and they're letting and they're giving enough trust to do that kind of thing because last person they had that kind of uh, free range to do a spectacular move like that was Hazuki when um, she was doing um, the Pac Black Arrow and they gave her two opportunities. And the first time she almost killed herself. The second time she almost killed Starlight Kid by landing directly on her head, and she never used it again. So um, as long as Big Size stays consistent with that um, and doesn't kill anybody or herself with it, that's going to be her move. And gotta tell you, there's not that much like spectacular flying in Joshi. So um, for finishers or that sort of thing, so um, that would definitely uh, help her stand out amongst the pack. Um, so, next match after that was the white belt match. Um, this is Tam versus Julia 3. Uh, Tam, I'm sorry, uh, Julia won the first match. That was the, actually the final of the uh, white belt tournament for the vacated belt when Arissa had to retire. Um, that was a, that was a, I would dare say, great match. It went 28 minutes. I ended up giving like four stars. A lot of people all over the place with their rating for it. Rich really liked, Rich liked it more than me, which is saying something because I love Tam and her matches because um, they're so full of uh, storytelling. But um, their second match was in the Grand Prix where Tam beat Julia in 13 minutes and it was just a slugfest. It, you could just feel... There's something, there's something special about wrestling in a, in a rivalry where you get to the point where oh my, you're just like, oh my God, they hate each other. Look at them kill each other. Um, and that's where the, that's where that match led to. Uh, the first match ended up with, um, back in July ended with Julia, um, slapping on like a rings of Saturn neck crank on Tam and Tam passed out, refusing to relinquish, you know, give up to give up the white belt. She'd rather die than lose the white belt. Um, in, in the second match, Tam hit her tiger suplex and for the finish and end up winning that one this one was a was a perfect meld of both matches it had the length it had a bit of the length on the first one it didn't go 28 minutes it went like 19 minutes but it had the intensity and some of the thought it had some of the flat out intensity and hatred of the second match while also tying in the storyline stuff um match in the storm where they're just exchanging forearms um <laughs> they end up uh were a spot later on in the match where um, Tam is trying to give her. They're both on the top turnbuckle. They're uh, inside the ring facing the outside. Tam is trying to give her a suplex off this off the second rope. Julia is desperate. She's grabbing onto the um, to the railing that uh, that connects to the uh, the post. Just desperate not to not to. Um, get suplex she back elbows Tam a couple times Tam just will not fall off until Julia just just rails back with the back of her head and just head busts Tam right in the fucking forehead um later in the match you see a gigantic just knot um on her forehead between her eyebrows from where she got hit but she goes uh but she's just out um it in 
they continue wrestling um just just a lot of cool stuff in the match there's a there's a second rope um code red um there's uh basically rainmaker black mass there are claymore kicks uh there is a kamagoye except with a knee it's a big boot uh there's another spot later in the match where tam's out and she looks like she's done for uh julia goes and gets her up and then tam throws her off and grabs both her hands and reels back and hits her with a kamagoye raw head but the match ends up getting to a point where julia has the match more or less won she slaps on this very same rings of saturn neck crank that made tam pass out you think it's gonna she's gonna pass out she fights and fights and fights after like she's about to pass out and gets to the ropes um she fight she mounts one last um hurrah after julia gets her up for her convoluted looking um falcon arrow slash uh tombstone thing she kicks it one gets up um and from there uh she ran out of gas uh julie ends up uh laying out tam with another one of her uh with another convoluted um tombstone falcon arrow thing and ends up getting the win after the match tam and julie have a respect for each other i believe julia says that you know um somewhere down the line i want to wrestle you again and i gotta say um I would love to see them wrestle again. I don't know when that will be. I think they need to... I, I felt like them wrestle each other, uh, you know, three times in basically three months was a little too much anyway, but they had three bangers. Um, and you need time for Julia to fight other people, see what she can do with other people, and then if you go back to it, then that's the time for Tam to be the champion. But um, it wasn't the right time. When she when she lost at the final to Julia... I believe that the white belt, given, you know, what it's been for the last few years, like, I don't want a short title reign with whoever wins the championship. I want them to go out there and wrestle a slew of people and have excellent matches and then drop it off to whoever the next person that's ready. And Julia won it back in July. It's only October. Let her get to year end and go further than that if they need to. So, um, but as far as their matches, they've had... I think either five either five or six different four star matches three of them were singles and the rest were tags it's a clear cut you know if you're just talking about ring quality or even storyline like it's a clear cut match or feud of the year contender um, for me so um, hats off to them because when Julia first you know got this big push from the Cinderella tournament up to now people have doubted her and I remember the first time I ever saw her wrestle was actually in ice ribbon against uh, Maya Yuki, and I thought she doesn't wrestle a typical stardom style as far as pacing and build, but when she gets going, it's very, very good, and I thought that it would work in stardom, and with what they'd done with surrounding her with, with Shuri and Micah and Natsupoi now and Hameka and this budding rivalry they have is a faction rivalry between them and Queen's Quest and Tam and Julie has a few like I feel like their success of the year for starting 2020 uh, they're just 
Julia has panned out in a way that, like, I, I, you know, a lot of people didn't want it to happen, but proof's in the pudding. Like, she has a bunch, she has a slew of great matches. I wouldn't say that she's um, one of the top five wrestlers in the company this year, but she's somewhere, she's going to be nominated for wrestler of the year by the, uh, in the One Nation Radio Awards by the end of the year, barring something crazy happening. She's had a number of matches to to, to, um, to justify that. So I'm, I'm so I'm really happy for her, and I'm really happy for the company because, generally speaking, whenever they give a woman or give an act a push, it ends up working out. It just does. Whether it was Riso Shiki last year, whether it was Utami um, when she first came up as a rookie in 2018, they want to push you. It tends to work out. It just does. Um, but it's a match that I love. I, I gave it four and a half. It, it's just a great match. I suggest y'all check it out um, for those that don't have that that don't watch stardom but um next match at that main event Mayu Tani versus Shuri for the red belt this was just a a master class of psychology and storytelling and just brutality um there are multiple points in this match where I thought the match needed to legitimately be stopped because Mayu had a concussion and this needs to be stopped it, it very much felt like Shuri was, you know with the the UFC background it very much felt like a Brock Lesnar like she you know, Mayu Itani versus a Brock Lesnarian type figure. She was getting her ass whooped from pillar to post. Uh, Matt started uh, with a lot of um, mat wrestling and grappling, and she was just thoroughly outclassed. And then Shuri went to work by kicking her kicking her legs out, uh, taking out her legs, um, just head kicks galore. And then Mayu, just the, the ever-fighting baby face, kept mounting small hope spots and comebacks throughout until, you know... Shuri, Shuri would just uh, Shuri would just overwhelm her with kicks and just brutality and, and just knees and just general meanness and oomph um, until ultimately there was a they end up on the apron and Mayu after getting her ass whipped for like four straight minutes um, lets out like probably the loudest knee or legs thigh slap I've ever heard. It reverberated around the arena. The crowd yelled ooh uh, off a super kick on the apron. Um, they end up back in the ring and Sir, uh, Shuri just continues to whoop her ass at different points and um, just to the point to where it just would make kicks and and everything to where the point you felt like the ref was going to call for a ref stoppage. At Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Different points starting the match. Um, there was also a spot where uh, later on in the match where um, Shuri has whooped Mayu's ass so much that she is laying up against the uh, bottom rope. Shuri hits the opposite ropes, comes back with a, with a running knee that sends her and Mayu through uh, the bottom rope and middle rope and then um, sends Mayu to the floor and then she hits off, comes off the apron with a running knee similar to the Daniel Bryan running knee off of the uh, apron to the floor and Mayu um, does a back bump and I don't know if this is on purpose or not knowing her she, she's a psychopath it's probably intentional she positions herself to where she is 
her, most of her body is on the mat, but the rest of it is uh on the ex- unexposed on the exposed floor. So she basically has a back bump and she bumps her head on the on the concrete on the floor. And then that sets up the rest of the match where there are just violent head kicks and times where she just like ragdolls and just like just gets with head kicks just basically like flips in half matchboxes herself um at times and you think like you know she actually rolls out the ring like she needs time to, to buy to because she's so much in pain and talking back to the ref and talking to uh, the people that are cornering her at ringside and it seems like there is real concern for her at times in the match and then you know like right when you think they're about to go to the finish she hits some move to it for, for a great escape for separation or for a double down and ultimately uh, the match ends when um, she hits a string of offense um, multiple times they go back and forth and my, keeps getting cut off but ultimately get to a point to where um, after they finally have um, kind of matched each other as far as the amount of desperation and, and selling they've done she ends up hitting a um, her second moonsault, ends up hitting her second um, dragon uh, suplex and gets the win. Um, after the match, um, they have a lot of respect for each other, and Mayu gives uh, Shuri her time, and uh, Shuri says that um, she's going to be no longer freelancing, she's going to be a member of Stardom, which is a big deal because Shuri is one of the bis- biggest uh, Joshi freelancers there were. Um... And Stardom has now <laughs> brought her in, and now it's taken her off the board uh, from a lot of people, which stinks because I loved her in Seedling, um, doing multiple multiple person tags against uh, Max Voltage and the like. Uh, but I'm glad to see her in Stardom. I'm glad to get to see her on a very consistent basis. Uh, get some high quali- quality wrestlers in singles matches or tag matches and the like, and. Um, I think, you know, she sticks around. I think she's going to be a red belt, a white belt champion. She's that good. Um, I've heard people say that this was like the best match she's had in years, maybe since some of the stuff she did with Asuka back um, when she was younger. Um, but this is another match that I thought was great. I gave it four and a half. Um, just, a, just a super main event uh, from a storytelling and brutality standpoint. Um, this was, like I said... Uh, this is one of the best shows I've seen this year. Top, top eight, maybe top six. But so if y'all, you know, if y'all care about my opinion or whatever else, I, I drop, drop the, I think it's like eight twenty. get a starter subscription, check it out. I, I promise you, I promise you. Uh, I'll drop a link in the description for the high speed match in the opener. Um, just as a, give y'all a taste test of what that's about. But, um, the next day, they actually had a show in um, Nagoya, Jungle's hometown. Um, they put her in the semi-main event. She had a tag match with tagging with Mayu against um, Oedo Tai, not Konami. Um, it was, um, I think it was B Priestley and um, Nasco Tora. Um, unfortunate shit happened, man. Um... Nesco, like the first minute of the match, uh, drops a leg drop right across Jungle's knee and tore ACL. Um, Jungle ended up uh, wrestling the the next 10 minutes of that match, um, fighting from underneath, getting that needed, just got ripped up, worked over. There's actually a spot later in the match where um, 
Nasco comes off the top rope with a leg drop right onto that fucking knee, and I, I was in. Um, I actually heard the news of what happened to her beforehand, so I was, uh, I was very, very. Um, <sighs> watching that match was just like very, very unsettling to watch her, knowing what happened to her, what, ha- and watching her roll out the ring early, early in the match, and communicating between uh, the ringside uh, people in the corner to the ref, explaining, you know that there's something wrong but she's still fighting and she's trying to lift people and trying to run and she's trying so hard she just can't really do it and there's a person that's been battling through a separated shoulder um, and came back early from last year's Grand Prix like she separated her shoulder and came back within like a month and she that shoulder's been taped up ever since you know the end of 2019 going to this year and um where it came out that you know she got the word she tore ACL and um, while she was there she also got that bum shoulder looked at and she needs to have to get surgery on that as well too while she's out like she's been basically you know held together with duct tape for about a year or so um, she's going to be gone for you know a while now and clearly they were setting up something with um Konami and her, maybe it was at the year-end climax, maybe it was at the 10-year anniversary. After this match, um, Jungle comes, goes back to Stars. Uh, Mayu asked her to come back, um, so she's back in Stars. And um, Konami's in Oedo Tai. She was in an earlier match, and she's new gear change. She's dressing all black. She looks like a damn Mortal Kombat uh, ninja. Um, she's putting on vicious holes on people and killing people. She's a killer, so um, hopefully she's the new unofficial leader of Oedo Tai. Instantly gives Oedo Tai some more credibility since you know BS came back. So hopefully they can finally have some quality matches opposed to just that bullshit they've been doing for the past uh, you know, six months. So um, you know, her uh, B and. Um, Konami are actually a good tag team faction in the tag league. Uh, we'll get to that next week, but um, interesting twist this week or this year, they're having five teams on each block, and instead of fighting each other and, and the winner with most points was a block, uh, A block, all the contestants A block wrestle every team in B block. Nobody wrestles the people in their own block. I don't know how they're terming a tie system or whatever else. We'll find out. Um, the shows aren't fully up yet from this past weekend, but we'll get to it. And whenever um, we figure that out and we'll get the shows, I'll give you the information on next week's show. From this point, I'll move on to uh, the Wednesday shows. Even though Rich isn't here, I'll still continue with the tradition of having uh, Dynamite go first. Uh, so, the show ends up starting with um, Brian Cage versus Will Hobbs, a classic Hoss battle. These guys, um, well, I want to say classic, a retro, a, a a classic matchup of those body types, but in a twist, a modern twist. Uh, they proceeded to go out there and, like most hosses, go out there and slap some meat. It was a great match of just guys beating each other's asses. But with Cage, you already know it's, it's modernized, and it was a really fun match. Um, ultimately, 
It didn't go very long. Obviously, it's Will Hobbs. He's got to establish himself, but Cage is the, the bigger star, so the right person won. Hobbs seemingly has the match won. He goes to the top to hit a frog splash, but there's no water in the pool. Cage then lifts him up and hits the drill claw for the win. Um, like I said, short, sweet, very fun match while it lasted. Um, but I cannot wait until that trios match they eventually have between Team Taz and Archer versus Darby and Moxley and Hobbs. I think it's going to end up being one of the better matches of AEW this year. So I'm definitely excited for whenever that comes around. After the match, Team Taz ends up coming down to the ring. Uh, Starks and uh, Taz, I think Taz was actually on commentary and he just walked down and they basically gave him a proposition. Get down or lay down. Either join Team Taz as I see some potential in you or we finna whoop your ass. Um, ultimately, Darby ended up coming in with the skateboard, making a save and clearing them out. Um, so that even adds more to it for this eventual trios match we're going to get. I think it's going to be great. So um, we end up getting some this is a 30th anniversary show for Jericho's career so we end up getting some cameos saying you know well wishes to Jericho we end up getting some from Slash and Dennis Miller and Bully Ray and his dad Ted Irvine and the ace of the universe Hiroshi Tanahashi wishes him the best I popped I was so happy to see Ace on American television. Um, I think we all made the same joke about the Forbidden Door now being opened and jokes about Harold May not being with New Japan anymore so or being let go or stepping down. So um, a lot of people are, are kind of getting themselves geeked up for this one. And I don't know if it happens, cool, but I'm not getting my hopes up. So... We end up getting a video promo from Archer. Um, he said that him and Moxie tore down the house in a Texas death match earlier in the year in New Japan. Obviously, I think it was Russell Kingdom night one um, or night two. I, can't I think it was night two. Anyway, he said he's learned a lot since he's and he's promised that he's going to beat Moxie for the belt. Uh, we end up getting next match the 20 minutes or the brush of. I forgot what the hell FTR is calling it. I think it's a 20 minutes, 20 minutes of destiny or something like that. 20 minute time limit tag match is FTR versus hybrid Two, Jack Evans in Angelico. Angelico comes down to the ring. He's even more douchier than normal. He looks, <laughs> he looks like a bottle of Axe body spray. Uh, anyway, the finish of the match uh, is, I can't remember which one is which. I think it was Bald. Bald ends up hitting Evans with a Tiger Driver for a near fall. And then um, Bald ends up hitting a Superplex on Evans. And then Hare ends up hitting a uh, Top Rope Splash for the pin. Um, the Unbucks end up, after the match, super kicking a camera operator backstage. Um, the best friends, The best friends end up entering... Um, coming down to the ring actually wearing weenie shirts they um they end up brawling and end up sending um ftr uh on the run and they said they're going to attack title shot next week after they've had their back and forth for a few weeks so they've been they've been putting this match over so should be very good for the anniversary show um i would have liked it if they had, you know 
had a no DQ match to kind of help out with Chuck Taylor and the his proclivity to do stupid things uh, with his body. But I think you still have a good match, especially if FTR um, sticks with having their match. Like I like their match when they try to do their match plus open it up to do stuff with, um, you know, like the Lucha Bros or with uh, Hangman and Kenny. It just hasn't worked. Like, or I want to say haven't worked, but it has been underwhelming compared to expectations. So I think if they just have their match, they can have their nice, you know, three and a half, three and three quarters, maybe even on a good day, have four stars. But um, it, it, we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be a good, good match. I have no doubt about that. Um, Next, we end up getting a MJF video tribute for Jericho. MJF says he's proud of Jericho and he's been expired by him. Um, Shaq was on this one. Um, Gene Simmons, Don Callis, Lars Ulrich, DDP. Um, so we end up getting the... <laughs> and then after that, we end up getting the NXT... NXT. The TNT title match. A dog collar match. And I gotta say... I watched this after watching the Stardom show. So I'm watching this, and I'm like, okay, this stuff's good. This stuff's good. It's fine. Then I get to this match, and I just have no interest whatsoever. I'm just in my phone. I can't, I can't, I can't uh, will myself to pull myself away from my phone. And I don't hear the crowd going nuts for it. So I'm just like, all right, whatever. Um, So. I said, you know what, that's not fair, like, or that's not right, like, I, I, I review these shows, I want to give people an honest critique, I can't just fake it, so I actually um, rewatched the show um, about an hour before I started recording this, and I gotta say, I do not know what people like so much about this match, I'm sorry, um, the the stuff with John Silver at the beginning, it serves no purpose whatsoever except for the sleight of hand diversion tactic to get you to not pay attention to Cody going to rub a, a razor blade against his forehead for the 20th time in the last uh, 18 months. But yeah, so you have that. You have uh, Silver also bladed it early in the match too. So it's just like, oh God. So He's a sing brother. He's basically a sing brother. And later on in the match, you get a, the uh, Alex Reynolds spot with uh, he gets he comes in. He ends up getting a spine buster from Arn Anderson. They do the Arn Anderson gets injured spot as well or hurt, harmed. Um, I, you look, I I gotta say they did a lot of bumping in this match to where they either. Unintentionally or in or inintentionally, unintentionally, <laughs> either unintentionally or intentionally bumped on this chain, and that should has to suck. And I give them a lot of respect and props to their toughness. Absolutely, you'll never see me say anything bad about Cody's toughness or question or whatsoever. He's a pro wrestler. He took those lashes. All that, right? And Brody, you know, we've seen Brody Russell for years now. You know, we know he's a psychopath. But 
some of the strike exchanges in this match and some of the ideas they came up with felt so uninspired. That might be the word. Because uh, I, I, I just didn't feel it. I didn't feel like the actual brutality of this match compared to the amount of blood they were leaking. It was just a disconnect for me. Um, like, they were doing the you know, punching each other with the chain stuff over and over and over. And I'm just like, in this match, um, they did a couple of choke spots with the chain. Um, but I felt like if those two just went out there and had a match without the chain, it would have been a thousand times better in this match. Um, I feel like this one of the, in the bottom half of Cody matches this year, I think the uh, cage match with Warlow kicks this match's ass. I think the um, match with Kingston kicks this match's ass. I think the match with uh, Mark Quinn is bet- is way better than this match. Um, the ma- second match with Darby this year with the <laughs> where they made Darby like a schmuck because uh, he couldn't <laughs> Because he got pinned by a tilt. I, I like that match better than this. Um, I like the Archer match better. Um, it's just... I probably like the MJF match. And I had tons of problems with the storytelling in that match. But I just... I didn't have the disconnect of... There's a bunch of violence going on. And I take that back. Because the toe spot... <laughs> the sock... And the, the bleeding by MJF... That was also disconnect, but at least I felt the visceral hate between those two. This was just like they hitting each other. They do a spot here and there. Um, I also didn't like the fact that they came back from commercial break and showed us a replay of the package power driver spot. It's like that's the biggest spot on the match. Why in the fuck would that be in the commercial break? Um, it's just I don't get it. I don't get it at all. Um, but yeah, uh, just a lot of blood, very slow, a lot of the same stuff over and over and over, um, and the match ends where Cody ends up wrapping the chain around um, Brody's head three times um, to take him or to take some starch out of him, and then he ends up hitting the. I believe the crossroads for the win. So he's the TNT championship or TMT champion again, TNT champion again. And, um, I don't know how to feel about that. I don't know what set of challengers he has left. Um, is he going to move on to, you know, I don't know, let's say a hangman or a, um, Adam page in the aftermath of the, um, of some of the people they're going to pull up for this uh, AEW title tournament. Um, we'll see. Uh, you know, there's still Lucha Bros. He can wrestle. Um, he can wrestle Trent. Um, he can wrestle Cole Cabana as a, you know, as a um, playoff of this thing with Brody. Um, of course, you know, there's a great chance that he's going to wrestle his homeboy, QT Marshall. Um, you know, he's not friends with QT Marshall, did not eventually have a match with him, right? Uh, you know, Rich has always talks about there will be he will be replacing people for p- new people to turn on him like a like a constant rotation uh for the next, you know, half a decade. So uh that's definitely at play. Um but yeah, um 
we'll see what he does from here. You know, maybe this is the beginning of a darker Cody because, you know, the hair and the blood and um, the quote-unquote depths he had to, you know, dig deep within his soul to the dark things he had to pull up to put away uh, <laughs> I almost said the uh, the Taskmaster, but uh, <laughs> but uh, Brody, Brody Lee, you know, it takes a lot to be someone as evil as, you know, uh, a parody of Vince McMahon, so this could be the way. This could be the way. After the match, he ends up saying that um, people thought that because he changed his hair, he should change his attitude and turn to the fans. And instead, he says he's sticking with the people and it's not pandering and it's his life work, his life's work. And that uh, the people are the ones that have been around with him and behind him since he was a teenager. So um, he said that he's going to defend the, the title next week on the anniversary show and he's looking for a challenger. And then all of a sudden, out comes Orange Cassidy. He puts up the half thumb, so that's on for next week. So um, we'll see where this goes. This could be where the turn comes. Um, I I wonder. Um, obviously, he's teasing us with what's next for him. Um, but um, Orange Cassidy versus Cody. Ugh. <laughs> I would say it's ugh. I don't know what it's gonna look like. It could be. It could be good. It could be good. Um, it could be because you know Cody's a very giving person um, in the ring, and you know with the right person, Orange Cassidy, his matches get over. Obviously, he hasn't been as good lately as um, back when we had the crowds uh, or the first Jericho match, but he's still somebody that I still believe in for now we'll see um but yeah just um that match in general just did nothing for me and i am quite frankly shocked at what i saw as far as people's response to the match like a lot of people think this is one of the very best matches in AEW this year and i vehemently disagree <laughs> i don't think it's one of the very best co- one of the very best co- uh cody matches i think it's just I thought it was just there for a long time and involved blading and bleeding and sleight of hand shit that was obvious. Like, if you've seen, if you seen any 80s match with the t- stereotypical stuff in it, it fits right in place with all that shit that's been overdone to death and it's cliche. That just wasn't for me. Was not for me. But I know one thing. Um, it damn sure was not whatever you think of it, it damn sure whether you loved it or not, like if you think that it's on par with uh, Finn Balor versus Kyle O'Reilly Dave Meltzer, I don't know what the fuck to tell you, I just don't um anyway we end up um, getting announcements for more people in the AEW World Title Tournament, we get Wardlow Cole Cabana and Hangman Page has been added to the uh, tournament how about that who could have foreseen such a thing anyway we get Alex Marvez interviewing uh, Omega he uh, he asked how he felt about Hangman being in the tournament um, actually he asked him how he feels about being in the tournament Omega mentions without saying the G1 how he won the G1 on his first try um, and then he starts acting funny when they bring up Hangman and the mention of Hangman actually being in the tournament as well. He seemed bothered. We'll see where that goes. Um, after that, we end up getting Big Swole versus uh, as Jim Ross. 
described her one of the best female competitors in the world, Serena Deeb. Um, it was a match. Swollen <laughs> uh, up hitting um, a headbutt to the chest and end up hitting a her rolling elbow um, spot for the win. Um, then we end up getting a uh, a Moxley pre-tape promo from a bar. He said next week is the anniversary show, but it doesn't. Uh, but he doesn't have time to celebrate. He said he knows somebody, or sometime his ticket will be up, and maybe it'll be Archer. Uh, and he said last time they fought, Mox, Moxley barely left Tokyo with his teeth in his head. And he said it's a coin flip whether or not he keeps the title. And Archer is chasing him halfway around the world to finish the job. Good promo. Um, the Cody promo was also good. I'm underselling it. Just it was a good promo as well. But just like that match, no poo poo, stank. So uh, we end up getting another round of celebrity messages from Jericho, from Lance Storm, Kevin. Kevin Smith, I almost said Kevin Storm, uh, Eli Roth, Gabriel Iglesias, Chavo, um, Ultimo uh, Dragon, and Paul Stanley. And then we end up getting um, Jericho and Hager versus Serpentico and Luther. <sighs> Last week I said it, or two weeks ago I said it to Rich. You know, Jericho is, is on a knife's edge. He is teetering and tight roping between being washed um, and this is another match where he seems like he's falling over that goddamn cliff uh, hopefully he holds on a little bit longer or longer than this or refocuses himself or uh, figures out what he's going to do with himself because him and Luther won it not for the main event no sorry Bob uh, <laughs> this um Obviously, Jericho's the biggest star in AEW, but I don't, I don't see how you have um, a title match. I mean, it's Jericho's week uh, anniversary show, so I understand why he's the main event. But I was gonna say, like, if this wasn't the anniversary show, no way this shit is a main event. And they put the put the stinking ass uh, dog collar match on last and go home on that. Uh, Especially when you have the Orange Cassidy reveal at the end for the next week's title match. That's far more important than um, that tag match between Serpentico, Luther, Jericho, and Hager. Anyway, uh, Jericho gets the win, um, and he goes to celebrate. He wants to give almost like a sign-off to the crowd and thanking them and that sort of thing. Well, obviously, being a heel, I'm taking credit for everything because he's Jericho. And then out comes MJF, and he says, uh, he interrupts, and he says he, he has something special for Jericho. And he ends up uh, bringing out an actual clown, like Bozo, homie, don't play that, an actual clown, and a a <laughs> a rap present um, that he oh he rips open and he's a uh, picture of MJF. Uh, if I remember correctly, I believe MJF or Jericho gets it and he, I think he bashes it over the clown's head. I'm not sure, but either way, he grabs the mic and says, "I don't like clowns." Him and Jericho, MJF and Jericho, lock eyes and you know start you know looking real intense and then they play it off like it's all cool and they laugh and they say yo thanks man whatever and good night everybody and you know eventually 
somebody, one of them is going to turn to the other, and that's what's going to be the thing for the pay per view. And uh, maybe, ho- and not even maybe, hopefully, we end up getting MJF versus Guevara on the way to it. I think that'd be a great match to have on Dynamite on the way. Um, and we'll see what they do with um, the future of that. Uh, I really like where they're going. Um, I like the tag match they have set up for next week between um, Trent and Chucky versus FTR. Um, I believe they're going to start up the tag team tournament. Uh, or not the tag team tournament. The, the um, AEW tag or the AEW world title um, tournament um, or contendership tournament. Um, you're going to get a Moxley versus Archer, I believe, next week. So, yeah, a lot of things going on. Um, things to look forward to. Building anticipation. Typical AEW. Typical um, well-booked well stuff. Um, the only problem and concerns I ever have with AEW is the execution of their ideas. They have a lot of good ideas. Sometimes they have too many, but this is a this was a solid show, even though the wrestling wasn't up to snuff. But the stuff around it and the building of the future towards um, the anniversary show and um, potentially even as far as um, the full gear stuff is coming into picture. And um, I think it's going to be a fun next few weeks. As far as NXT goes, um, the first match, uh, first thing on the card is um, Kushida versus Tommaso Ciampa. They had a, um, I guess, online dispute backstage before their match. They're both heated. They just start going at it. And they had a really good match. It went short, but I um, I hope they have a match at the future. Um, just Kushida, aggressive, um, still displaying just, just technical wizardry. Uh, Ciampa... Um, finding ways to get away from that dude putting his hands on his arm to work over his arm um, and then eventually Kushida uh, just wears him down and actually gets the hoverboard lock and after I think it's probably after like 8 minutes 9 minutes something like that he has a Kushida, a Kushida board lock my god the <laughs> he has a hoverboard lock lashed onto uh, Champa, and Champa's fucked he's dead to rights he's about to tap out or Whatever, get his arm broken, and then Autumn's out of nowhere. Velveteen Dream with a purple cast on comes out the top turnbuckle. Kashida sees it, gets up and gets out the way. Um, the cast ends up hitting Champa, and uh, the the ref calls the match a DQ for uh, in um, Champa's actually the winner, um, and then. Kushida basically runs off Velveteen Dream and Velveteen Dream basically uh, after getting sent packing he basically flops around like a fish before getting sent off to the back and that guy's still in our lives as wrestling fans um, it's unfortunate but they're still doing this and I said this on LLP Radio's NXT review with Imp it seems to me with guys like Austin Theory and Velveteen Dream right now um, even though they shouldn't be on TV, they're putting them on TV and they're trying to uh, split the half by having them on TV and they do jobs or get embarrassed. And gotta tell you, just take them the fuck off TV. It does not matter if they're if they're doing jobs if they shouldn't be on your TV. It doesn't matter. 
Doesn't matter if they win or lose. They shouldn't be on your TV. Period. So, um, but I do believe that they're going to circle back around to uh, Ciampa not taking um, that near beating or that or being dead to rights lightly against Kushida, and they're going to have a, a rematch in. Um, based off of what they did in the short amount of time they had, like I'm, my appetite has been appetite. My appetite has been wet. Like I want to see them uh, throw down um, for an extended period of time. That'd be a great match. Um, so after that, we end up getting a promo from Ember Moon. She comes down to the ring. She makes jokes about, yeah, they let me get on the microphone, and then proceeds to cut a mediocre promo. Now from the stuff I saw online and uh, people thought it was this horrendous promo and I thought it was just a mediocre running rail promo. Um, she said that while she, she's been in isolation for 14 months and she's back and she says that um, she rode her motorcycle for miles and miles to find some clarity and she what she found was Ember's Law and she said that no one will walk over her. That's Ember's Law and uh She's going to do whatever she wants to do because she's Ember Moon, damn it. Um, and she said that Mama wants that gold. And then Io Shirai came um, to the ring um, and got face-to-face with Ember. And before Io could speak, Rhea came down to tell Ember to get in the back of the line because she wants her title sh- rematch. She wants her belt back. Um, and she did that from the ramp and then as she did that from the ramp out come Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai to jump Rhea and they're whooping her ass and then Ember comes up the ramp and helps even the the odds uh, geeks assemble and then Regal comes out and says you guys are the main event in the tag match the baby faces Ember and Rhea versus the hills Raquel and Ember the main event of the show um, so as they come back from a commercial break, uh, they actually end up asking EO, how come you didn't get involved with the Rhea thing? And EO said, Ember Moon, not my problem. Raquel Gonzalez, not my problem. Basically all these geeks, not my problem. She looks, she touches the belt, looks at the, the belt that's on her shoulder. And she says, this is my problem, which, you know, goes a lot, goes a long way. Like, that's their thing. Y'all go battle a lot to come fight, you know, the Queen EO. So, uh, we end up going, getting a video package from earlier in the day. It's Drake Maverick walking to Full Cell Arena. They ask him about his tag match uh, tonight against, or with Killian Dane against Everrise. He says he's excited. He says he's been texting with. Killian Dane all week with a bunch of ideas for moves and music and different things. Then Dane comes into the uh, screenshot and says, Hey, do you get us booked for a match, a tag match together against Everize? I don't want to tag with you. Why would you do that? Then after <sighs> you already know, I hate this. Y'all know, I hate this. They're, <laughs> um, they go on, they go on to do this gag or just a gigantic like plot hole where after he after Drake said that he's been talking to uh, Killian Dane all throughout the week or the weekend, he then asks 
hey, I need to get your number. I've been messaging you, which is like, that makes no sense, but whatever. Um, Dane walks away pissed off because he's just a miserable person. And um, basically, Drake is just annoying him. He's a geek. So we end up getting a backstage promo from Adam Cole, and he's wearing shades to cover his black eye. He's apparently a beaten spouse, and he addresses the supposed attack from Rich Holland. Um, he ends up saying he has broken ribs and that Holland's a dead man for attacking him. And so in the middle of that promo, he takes off the glasses to show that he got his ass whooped by this dude, and he says he's a dead man. Oh, um. <sighs> okay. Uh, then we end up getting Drake, Maverick, and Killian Dane versus Ever-Rise. Uh, the match is basically they beat the piss out of... Uh, Drake Maverick until Killian Dane gets insulted. He clears house. He drags uh, <laughs> um, Drake's half-beaten carcass uh, to the corner, tags himself in, clears out. He's about to give one of those geeks a Vader bomb or something like that, and then he ends up getting a blind tag from Drake Maverick. Drake Maverick gets the win. Um, before that happened, they came down to the ring. They were playing this goofy, mute, whistly, happy almost like Blue's Clues ass music and Killian Dane just hates his life and Drake is having a ball. Um, he's dancing. He's whistling. Um, but back to the mat, the end of the match, um, he reaches out for um, some type of attaboy from Killian Dane and Killian Dane just reaches back and decks him and then picks up his carcass and hauls it over his shoulder and takes him to the back. It's just... Um, you know where they're building to. There are a couple tag team where this rock and sock connection like um, thing where it's a geek and a and a dude that wants nothing to do with him, and eventually he you know begrudgingly comes to respect and like the dude, and they'll become friends or whatever. I don't care. Like I feel like it's a better. I feel like this works better if they don't make Drake Maverick a geek, but. We're past that. We're past that. He's a geek. It is what it is. Um, So, we end up getting this uh, vignette profile on Tony Storm, and she answers a bunch of questions about where she's been. She says that she's been away. Uh, It was titled that she was in Cancun, um, and she's been training on the beach, doing sprints on the beach and that sort of thing, training herself, saying that she's time for her to come back to NXT, mentioned how she had beat EO at the um, Evolution pay-per-view in 2018 in the Mae Young Classic final um, and, you know, she's back. So, we'll see what they do with her. She's, you know, she's one of the more talented women wrestlers in the world um, and she has all the look and stuff and markability that Dave Meltzer and Fist McMahon would want. We'll see what they do with her. Um, it's a loaded uh, class right now, but I do enjoy the fact that they, like, after losing Mercedes and Mia and Bianca and Shayna, they've, you know, brought back Ember and are bringing Tony Storm in now to be on domestic NXT. NXT so, um, you know, their best, their strongest demo stable uh, division, like, keeps tr- keeps strong trucking, so um, I'm happy for that. Um, so then we end up getting a Johnny Gargano, Candice LeRae 
segment where they're at in their neighborhood walking the dog and they're talking about how much you know NXT TakeOver sucked because they got their ass kicked by two, two champions Damian Priest and Io Shirai and they head back to the house and they see a big screen TV sitting at their front doorstep and Johnny's like who's that from and Candice reads the card and says it's from Indy Hartwell and Johnny goes Indy Hartwell who is she ever beat like get this fucking geek out of here and then reads the rest of the note and says that the that they know about what happened between them and Tegan and how Tegan broke their TV so she says something along the lines if I have this lying around or I or consider this you know you know um your new TV, and then as soon as he, Johnny heard that, he goes, "Andy Hartwell, I always liked her. Big future, big future. Just such a fake phony. I love it. Um, this is the only thing I like about Johnny Gargano at this point with this character. Like he's a fucking loser. He's a, he's a geek. His heat is that he keeps like stealing shot from his wife. Like if he had told me this how I was going to turn out for Johnny Gargano in two, back in 2018 I wouldn't have fucking believed it but whatever like he gets his moments when he can but um and he's still a great wrestler but it is definitely not the same it is very similar to the uh the Daniel Bryan thing when they turned him heel after he came back it's like yes he could do anything because he's that talented but is what they're about to do better than what they been doing or what they had done before and the answer is no it just is what it is but um they end up taking the video uh to the back or uh into the the um into the house so then we end up getting um Austin Theory and Leon Ruff for a match. They both talk to shit to each other about how they're both losers. Austin Theory is like incredulous that he's called a loser, even though like all he has done since coming back is lose because he's on this secret punishment thing, even though he's still on TV. Uh, The match starts. You end up getting um, Leon Ruff doing some impressive flipping and evasive maneuvering around. Austin Theory and Leon Ruff, by the way, is um, recently signed. Um, he is in the latest crop of PC talent, so good for him. Congratulations to him. He's one of the best jobbers in the world. A great enhancement guy. One of the best big bumpers you can find right now. Just, just you know, I don't know if I believe in it, signing enhancement talent, but given the stuff that he did in this match uh, before he got squashed. That dude ain't just his hand for talent. If they want to figure out how to do something with a dude with that physique, they could do it. He has, obviously, some some tools and some skills. So, um, you know, maybe there's more. We'll see. I doubt it, though. But he's doing a bunch of flippy, fly, evasive stuff. And then until eventually uh, the fly swatter hits the fly and Theory ends up hitting the ATL on him. And... Um, then he begins to talk some shit and then Loomis comes out and then they proceed to have a match that went on forever and ever and I gotta tell you it's not a good look for Dexter Loomis to go out there for God knows how long with Austin Theory and 
he's less impressive in beating the shit out of Austin Theory than than Leon Ruff is getting squashed by Austin Theory. Go fucking figure. But they had a long, slow, boring match, and it it was a match, and Loomis won at the end with his uh, front face choke. So congrats for that. Um, after that, we end up getting um, Cameron Grimes runs in and hits the uh, the cave in right on Loomis and celebrates because you know he's always going to the moon. Uh, and uh, we end up getting a epilogue of the Prime Target. Uh, video package promo stuff for O'Reilly versus Finn Balor. They talk about um, the wares of their fantastic match from um, NXT TakeOver in that main event. They they mention that Finn Balor has broken his jaw. Um, they mention the injuries uh, that they both uh, sustained in the match. Um, I believe the word is that Finn Balor is going is going into surgery either soon or today or this week sometime in the near future um for his jaw um so we'll see what that means for you know the title for him time off i don't know but um they they put each other over like crazy and deservedly so because they went on there and had a kick-ass match i love that match i can't wait to rewatch that match um but then They, uh, but this was a huge thing for O'Reilly. This was to make O'Reilly a player after having a great title match. That even though the it came seemingly out of nowhere, it between him p- winning or putting away so many people, um, in that gauntlet eliminator match and going toe to toe with Balor for however long that match was, he's on deck. Um, so. We end up getting after that Rich Holland versus Danny Birch. Birch gets squashed. Rich Holland's just all over him. And then um he's all over him after the match. And then Oni Lorcan comes down and Oni Lorcan um starts getting his ass whooped. He mounts two different comebacks. One he ends up hitting a a dive and after the dive, uh uh, Holland just basically gets right back up and goes back to terrorizing um, Oni. The refs start breaking it up, and then on the outside, and Oni goes for another dive, and this time just disaster struck uh, because of positioning or whatever, and just bad sheer luck. Um, he lands on top of Holland, and Holland basically gets his leg rolled up. Basically, gets rolled up. He ends up like his his ankle just like collapses from underneath itself um I don't know the prognosis or diagnosis of uh his injury but it looked bad um they end up carting him off in a um air cast and a stretcher so um you know given what happened this weekend with um Dak Prescott like just a lot of bad luck out there like these are dangerous things people are doing you know for our entertainment so I just hope you know we'll wish him a speedy recovery um, you know, it's unfortunate because, like, this is a dude that, you know, I remember that match he had earlier in the year, a couple months ago, with, um, in that triple threat match for the the ladder match 
qualifier when it was Damian Priest and him and I think it was Oni Lorcan. And he was just a great powerhouse in base. And, you know, the thing happened with Johnny where he dropped him on his head. That was unfortunate. And it was clearly somebody they were going to do something with. So, you know, he has a look. Um, there's no denying that. He clearly has something to him. Like, you know, obviously it's he was protected as far as things he did. But, like, as a power guy, he looked impressive in that match I just mentioned, that triple threat match. And um, he had some things with going for him um, in that Johnny match until he dropped Johnny in his head. But uh, just unfortunate. Next, we end up going back to the Gargano household. And Johnny has installed the TV and he's looking at it and he says, interesting. I thought he was going to make some joke about the pixels because he's basically a <laughs> a, uh, a middle-aged dad now on the show. But he calls attention to Candace and points out, do you realize in the um, title qualifying or title contendership battle royal how many times Indy saved you? There's actually a thumb drive showing the match that's highlighted all the times and he saved you and Candace says no I didn't notice it but I'm starting to like this Indy Hartwell and Johnny says so do me too big big future so we'll see what that leads to I'm, I'm slightly intrigued to be honest with you next segment you end up getting Timothy Thatcher doing Thatch Thatch Can again he talks about how life will grind you down until you quit. And he talks about um, how he has to be adaptable because that will not happen to him. And I think he's now picking or looking for a, a, a new target. So um, we'll see what's next for the Thatch Man. Yes, I called him the Thatch Man. I regret that instantly. But uh, we go back to the arena and that's when they show Rich Holligan, uh stretched off. Um and hopefully he'll be okay. Um, so then we after that we, we get Chauncey Chauncey Blackheart versus Zaya Lee. Um, short match. Zaya throws some kicks, uh, gets gets th- cut off, and then uh, Chauncey ends up hitting her um, her senton off top rope for the win. Um, after the match, Boa um, comes down to the ring in a suit and he hands a letter to. It's in Chinese, or I guess Mandarin, I don't know. Um, and hands it to Zaya. She reads it and immediately becomes concerned and walks off with him going right back up the ramp. Um, I don't know how this plays into the bad loser thing that Zaya was doing the last few matches with Casey, against Casey and Caden, um, but we'll see if that ties into it or not. Um, I ended up saying to Amp on the LLP show last weekend, I hope this doesn't turn into um, allusions to organized crime because they tend to do that on NXT. It's always some Sons of Anarchy shit or in the case of Legato del Fantasma, obviously those are cartel allusions they're making. Um, I don't need a, I don't necessarily feel the need for a triad gimmick right now. I just don't. I don't, but we'll see where that leads to us. Where that leads us. Um, so anyway, we need to get the main event: Rhea Ripley and Ember Moon versus uh, Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez. And I gotta say, this was a very fun match. Um, and it was 
I think the thing that I liked about it as much is that Ember Moon looks to still be very much the NXT Ember Moon we all, you know, enjoyed um, on takeovers. She was crisp. She still had her burst. She was sudden. Um, her striking was on point. It was all there. Um, you know, this is a person that or I don't know if it was the end of last year or the beginning of this year, but she did that interview uh, with Booker T and she broke down talking about, you know, her insecurities and concerns about her future. She thought her career may be potentially over and she's back here and she, she looked great. Uh, so I'm really happy for her because you never know what Achilles, you know, I don't want to make any comparisons to, um, real life sports but like that injury is a is a real career ender especially for you know somebody that has bounced like her like that ended Shaq's career that ended Isaiah Thomas' career that completely ended Kobe Bryant's prime Achilles tear so um and even not even necessarily someone that's an advanced age like Wesley Matthews in the NBA like his career has never been the same since he tore his Achilles so um it's a serious thing, but she looked she looked she looked damn good. So I'm happy for her. Um, they, you know, um, it, a lot of it was paired up. It was um, the Giants versus each other. It was Rhea versus Raquel, which I'm sure they had a blast because they're actually you know pretty good friends if you look at their social media um, over the years. And um, you had Dakota in there with Ember, Ember, and it was very very good, like two top notch. Um, wrestlers going at it um, and at the end you end up getting Ember hitting the uh, the eclipse for the win and she celebrates with um, with Rhea um, they I think they both raise each other's hands I think and I think there's a handshake at first of you know begrudging respect right you know they both want the same things and then eventually they raise each other's hands and show goes dark um this is a show that I really enjoyed the fact that it seems that they're for now it can always change but they're going back to long form storytelling as opposed to hot shining shit left and right uh they're bringing in new players you know NXT even one even with the hot shining they were always good at coming up with the next destination the next uh reality and table setting it just they were blowing through so much stuff so fast because they have to get Keith Lee from NXT US or North American champion to double champion to just the NXT champion a span of three fucking weeks or, you know, doing a, because the title is vacated, they have to do a fatal four way Iron Man match that's an hour long that leads to another title match the next fucking week. So, um, with the, well, the who done it stuff of who paid Adam or who paid Rich Holland to beat up Adam Cole with the Andy Hartwell Gargano stuff with um, the beginning of the Loomis versus Cameron Grimes thing, even though I think I'd rather see Grimes doing something better. I'm OK with it. Like, um, I, I feel like they're I feel like they're giving their story some time to breathe now um and i don't know if that's a byproduct of the fact that like this takeover's out the way and the next takeover's not till i i think december but um it's a it's a must need to change of pace like they're burning through way too much stuff um and stuff starting not to feel special um but 
between the Capitol Wrestling Building, the PC being revamped, um, and you know that takeover we got over last weekend, and this like it start it's, it feels a little bit more like the NXT that you know Triple H told us nothing was going to change before it absolutely did fucking change. So um, I'm happy that um, things teams they're going to kind of wean us off of that hot shot shit. So they have the talent to just have good matches without trying to put stakes on every fucking thing. So, um, I welcome it. Anyway, that's the end of the show. Be sure to rate us on whatever app you're using to listen to this. Tell the folks about the social suplex podcast network. Be sure to visit pro slash social suplex and pick up some official social suplex podcast network merchandise. Be sure to check out the other shows on the network. On Sundays, we have this show. <laughs> Seems to be Mondays a lot now. One Nation Radio. On Tuesdays, we have Keep It A Strong Style. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Podcast. On every other Wednesday, we have Grown Men Watch This Shit. On Thursdays, we have the Grave Consequences Podcast. On Fridays, we have 8-Bit Suplex. And on Saturday, we have All Things Elite. Again, before I get out of here, I just want to give another congratulations to Rich and Catherine. I had a fantastic time at their wedding, and I just want to tell them I love them both. All right, y'all. Later. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.